Okay, our first reading is Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The next reading is Exodus chapter 3 and verses 13 and 14. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. The final reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and verses 1 through 3. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This is the word of the Lord. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy, which can ever engage the intention, the attention of a child of God, is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. These are the words of the great English preacher Charles Spurgeon in a sermon from 1855. And I think that they're fitting for us as well as we now begin a sermon series on God. As you know, my family will be uh, on furlough for three months from August through October. And as I was thinking of what I should preach on before we leave, I began to wonder, what would I want to say if this was my last chance to speak to you all? What what would I want to say if this is my last chance to speak to you all? Now, of course, we certainly plan to return, and we look forward to seeing you again in November. But as we saw in our study on James, God alone knows the future. None of us is guaranteed tomorrow, much less November. But even aside from that, even aside from maybe pessimistic tendencies that I have, uh, we'll be gone for three months. So I want to leave you with something that can enrich you spiritually until we return. Now, of course, the Albrights will be here, and the Albrights are, I think, going to do wonderful things for you. I think hearing um, Dwight's lessons are going to be a great encouragement, and I'm I'm thankful that they are doing that. But um, I still want to leave something that's going to be encouraging for everyone until we get back. But what could that be? And it seemed to me that Spurgeon is correct. You know, the most important thing, the most enriching thing that I can share with you is the study of God, who he is, and how we can know him. This is, after all, the reason for which we exist. We exist to know God, to glorify him, and to enjoy him forever. What is the greatest commandment? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The psalmist Uh, calls on us to seek the Lord, to seek his presence continually. Paul to the Athenians said that God chose the times and the places of the people. He chose where we would live and he chose when we would live so that 
we would seek and find him. So this is why we exist. It's not a, it's not a mystery. Sometimes people are like, well, you know, why is there anything? It's not a mystery. God has told us we exist to come to know God and to love him deeply. This is really what discipleship, what spiritual formation is all about. True spiritual formation, true discipleship, following Jesus, has God as both its source and its goal. In other words, we become disciples of Jesus because of what God has done. He is the source. And so that we might know God more deeply, he is the goal. Remember in uh, John chapter 14, this is in verses 8 and 9 if you want to look there. But in John 14, uh, Philip says this to Jesus. He says, show us the Father. And Jesus responds, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. This is an incredible statement for Jesus to say. For Jesus to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's an incredible statement. If it's not true, it's absolute blasphemy. And so he's making this huge claim that he shows us who God is. And we believe that and that's why we follow him. Because Jesus shows us who God is. It is through Jesus that we come to know God. So the point of our being disciples of Jesus, the point of our baptism, the point of the gospel, the point of the church is this, to bring us into a relationship with God. And so that's my goal in this series. I want to help you understand better who God is. That is, first of all, his nature, his being. I mean, what it really means. What does it mean when we talk about God? You know, we use that word, even in just modern culture, we talk about the word God. We talk about, you know, does God exist? But what do we even mean when we're talking about God? And certainly, what does it mean for a Christian to say, I believe in God? We say we believe in God, but who is God? But then I also want to help you actually come to know God personally. I want you to have a deeper relationship with him. Now, I have to admit that as I talk about this, in some sense, I feel very foolish. Because really, who am I to talk to you about God? Who am I to explain to you about the nature and being of God, right? How could I, as a mere human being, possibly presume to teach you about God? I mean, it's like an ant trying to teach other ants about quantum mechanics, you know? It's just foolishness. It makes no sense. And this is how much of the modern world, I think, you know, thinks about God. Most people in modern society are, I think, basically agnostic to some degree or another. So a lot of people will say they're atheists, but I really believe there's very few pure atheists in the world. Most people are agnostic. That is to say, they really think that I just don't know whether God exists and some people would say, I don't think it's possible to know whether God exists. And I think that's where a lot of people are, right? It, it's possible that he exists, but we can't really know. And even if he does exist, well, we can't know anything about him objectively. That's what a lot of people assume. And you know, the thing is, if God didn't reveal himself to us, that's absolutely correct. If God didn't reveal himself to us, then how could we know anything about him? I mean, talking about his, his nature and his attributes would just be pure folly. If God did not reveal himself, we could say almost nothing about him. And if he existed, so let's assume God existed, but he was unknowable. We couldn't know him at all. Then believing in God would just be irrelevant to our lives. It wouldn't matter. But the amazing thing is that God has revealed himself. He has revealed himself in nature. He has revealed himself in scripture. And most importantly, he has revealed himself in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, he is God. I mean, we were talking about God. 
And so we can't fully understand him. Yes, it's true. We will never fully understand God, but we can know important truths about God. And more importantly, we can know him personally. And so, yes, I am a mere mortal, right? Just a human being talking about things far beyond me. And I know that. And I I am trying to approach this series with as humble a heart as I possibly can, because I understand the task before me. But I do this first and foremost on the authority of Jesus. I mean, Jesus sent people out. He sent out his disciples. He sent out his church to proclaim the glory of God. And so I, I do that on his authority. But I also do it for your good because I want you to know who God is. And I want you to know him personally. That's why I'm preaching this series, really, because I want you to truly know the Lord. I want you to know who it is that you come here on Sundays to worship. I want you to know who it is that you pray to, right? I want you to know who it is that has called you his child. I want you to see more clearly the beauty and the glory of God. I want you to be captivated by God, like a groom is captivated by his bride. You know, when, when the man is watching his bride come down the aisle, you know, hopefully, Matthew, you're going to be experiencing that soon. But it is a, it, it's, it's exciting. It's amazing. I mean, she's beautiful. And you're just like, wow, I can't believe that she's coming to me. And that's what we, I want it to be like for you with God. Like, I can't believe that God wants a relationship with me, that he wants to, to know me and me to know him. That's what I want you to have. And I want you to be able to experience that deep fellowship with him even now. And I want you for this because this is the key, this is the foundation to deep spiritual formation. You know, without God, we cannot make sense of this world at all. Without God, we just lose all sense of direction. You know, without God, the, the storms of life, the problems that we face, they just become overwhelming. And we become consumed by worry and by fear. And then those things drive everything that we do. We make all of our decisions based off those things because we're consumed by them. And in fact, the sins and distractions of life have power over us, ultimately because they replace God in our hearts. We, we find them to be more beautiful than God. But you see, the more clearly you see the glory of God, the more you are captivated by his beauty, the less sway these things have over your life. I mean, what drives a man to say, I want that woman and I'm going to choose her and I will reject every other woman from now on, right? I'm never going to flirt with another woman. I'm not going to try to date another woman. I'm just going to go after this woman for the rest of my life. What, what possesses him? It's being captivated by her. It's saying she is just, I, I need her in my life, right? And I need her more than I need these other women. And so I'm willing to say, I won't have that relationship with those other women. I'm only going to pursue a relationship with her. And it's, it's like that with God. Right? The thing that captivates or the thing that drives us to pursue God is first actually understanding who he is and how beautiful and amazing he is. And then that drives us to pursue him. And so the more you see the beauty and the glory of God, the more you will want to not feel like you have to, the more you will want to spend time in his word, the more you will want to spend time in prayer, the more you will want to be at worship and the more you will want to be fellowshipping with other Christians. And the deeper your relationship with God, the more peace you will have when you face the inevitable trials of life. And the more confidence you'll have in truth, even when the world around you seems to just totally abandon truth, when the world has no truth in it and seems like it can't tell up from down, left from right, with God, you will still have confidence in the truth. So this is my prayer and my aim, is that through this series, you will grow closer to God. And so the series is broken up into two parts. The first part, which we're starting today, is about his, natures and his, his nature and his attribute. Um, that is, 
you know, who God really is. What are we talking about when we talk about God? And then secondly, how we can know God, how we actually have a real relationship with him. And we begin today with the most basic, the most foundational truth, I think, about God, the very core of his nature, we might say. One of God's most primary attributes is that God is. God is. Now, when I say that God is, it's kind of like one of those things, like it sort of like seems like an incomplete sentence, like God is what, right? God is what? Well, it's not an incomplete sentence because I don't mean that God just simply exists. Now, obviously, I, I think there's really a lot of reasons to believe in God. There's plenty of reasons, right? There's so much evidence for God, but that's not what I'm talking about here. Rather, when I say that God is... I mean that one of the most central aspects of God's nature is pure existence. Everything we experience in this world, right? The chair that you're sitting on right now, right? The pew there, uh, the planets, the stars, even our own selves. All of these things are what's called contingent. That is to say, they depend on something else for their existence, right? I mean, that, that chair didn't just doesn't come out of nowhere and doesn't exist by itself. It had to come from somebody who created it. It had to come from the materials, the wood that was used to make it, and so on, right? And so it's the same with even the stars and the planets. They all came from something else. They're contingent. They're based and rely upon something else. Also, they all began to exist. There was a time where they started. They didn't exist, and now they do. And they rely on something else for their existence. But that's not the case with God. When we talk about God, we are talking about what we could call the sole ultimate reality. God is the sole ultimate reality. In other words, God depends upon nothing else for his existence. God depends on nothing for his existence. This is implied in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. And it's actually developed further in John chapter 1 and verses 1 through 3. So what does it say there in John chapter 1? God and his word simply were in the beginning, but everything else came into being through God and his word. So we see that God alone exists eternally. The only being that is uncreated is God. And that's exactly what God tells Moses at the burning bush. In Exodus chapter 3, so Moses, there's this uh, kind of amazing story. So Moses, he's kind of doing his thing, normal day, and he sees a bush that's on fire, right? So he sees this bush. This bush is on fire, but the bush isn't burning up. It's not disappearing. It's just sitting there on fire going on. And so he says, I'm going to go check that out because <laughs> that's sort of an interesting thing. You don't typically see something on fire that just keeps burning like that. And so he goes over there and then God speaks to him from this bush and he calls on, on Moses. He says, I've called you to go set my people free from Egypt. And so Moses goes through a long list of excuses trying to get out of this. He's like, I'm not really into that. But one of his first questions is, who should I say sent me to the people of Israel? They're going to say, Okay, tell me, what's his name? You know, who is this God that sent, us, sent you to us? And so God says, I am who I am. Tell the people, I am has sent you. Now imagine telling that to people. People are like, who sent you to me? And, and the name is, I am. They'd be like, what? What does that mean, right? Well, this phrase, I am, you may have heard this name. Um, it, it's actually the meaning, though, of the name Yahweh. Okay, that's actually what the word means. It literally just means I am. And it's represented throughout the Old Testament. If you look through the Old Testament, sometimes in English anyway, I'm not sure how this is in Chinese, I don't know. But in English, if you go into the Old Testament, there will sometimes have the word Lord, but it's written in kind of like all capital letters, except the capital letters are kind of small. So it's sort of weird. 
but it looks different from everything else. When you see that, that's what this is referring to. It's referring to Yahweh or Jehovah, which ultimately have that same base of I am, right? They mean I am. Now, this may seem like an odd name to us, right? I mean, it's not really a name, like I am. But the reason is because exactly that. It's not a name. Rather, it, I mean, it is a name, but it's more of a description of God, right? In the Old Testament times, a person's name told you something very important about who that person is. And so when God gives this name, I am, he's telling this something fundamental about himself to Moses. By giving Moses the name Yahweh, God was showing that he is independent, all sufficient in himself, and the only source of all existence in life. Just through these simple words, he's showing him that. That he is independent, all sufficient in himself. He needs nothing else, no one else, and the only source of all existence in life. You know, sometimes people talk about this, they'll, they'll say, like, God created us because he needed us. He was lonely. No, that's absolutely not true. God was not lonely without us. God does not need us at all. Now, we might talk about why he created us then, and I think that's out of his love, and that's maybe something we'll get into later. But the point is, even just by saying, I am, God is showing that he doesn't need anyone else, right? It's just he exists. He exists by his nature. So when we talk about the God of the Bible, when we call him Lord, when we say the Lord God or the Lord, he is God, when we make that claim, what we're saying is, we're not, we're not just saying, well, our God is one really cool God out of a bunch of other gods. That's not what we mean. Rather, we are referring to the only God who alone exists by his own nature. Unlike anything else in the world, God has always existed. He is dependent upon nothing else for his existence and would exist even if nothing else existed. He is the sole, the only, ultimate reality. And this is the God of the Bible. He's not an idol made by man. He is not a God made up by philosophers, but rather he is the God who transcends all human thought and exists by his own nature, depending on no one and no thing for his being. But God's self-existence, that is the reality that he exists by his own nature, shows us something else that's very important, which is that God is also the source and grounding of all existence. So because God is the sole ultimate reality, all other things that exist depend on him for their existence. So God depends on nothing for his existence, but all other things depend on him for their existence. Now we're going to talk about this next week a little bit more when we talk about God as creator, but it's important to understand this point before we talk about that. Because, you know, when we talk about God as creator, we don't mean that he created things like we would create things. So if I create something... Let's say that I want to make a chair. I don't know. I'm kind of focused on chairs this morning, but I guess it's just an easy thing. Hey, let's say I want to make a chair. Okay. Well, what do you do to make a chair? Well, you've got to get materials that exist. And you take those materials and you put them together into the form of a chair. And it's the same actually with anything else. Anything that humans create. A painter, a programmer, anything that we create as humans comes from something else that exists. But God did not create the world or anything else using something that had existed as long as he had, because there is nothing that existed as long as he had. Rather, everything aside from God has a beginning and ultimately owes its existence to God himself. Okay? Everything aside from God has a beginning, and that beginning ultimately comes from God. Re remember what we read in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. This is a really important verse. It's a good one to remember. 
Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, he, that is Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So what this verse tells us is that the entire universe itself is upheld by God. It depends on his power and existence for its existence, and that includes everything in it. So sometimes we kind of think of like God created the universe, and now the universe just sort of exists apart from God, completely on its own, right? So sort of like God like made like a wind-up toy, and he wound it up real tight, and he said, okay, good luck, right? And that's how sometimes people think about things. But that's not how God created the universe. That's not what the Bible tells us. Rather, the universe and everything in it, including our own existence, is as it were, on loan from God. He shares, we might say, his own life with us. He shares existence with us. And actually what what the Hebrews writer is telling us is that it's not just that God created the world, but literally he sustains it, right? He is upholding it at this moment. Sometimes it's said the only thing God would have to do to destroy everything is to stop doing something. (laughs) If God just stopped sustaining the universe, that would be it. It would lose everything because all of its existence relies on him. So you see that. I mean, think about that. The entire universe exists at this moment because God is actively sustaining it. It's not like he just created it. He is actively sustaining it at this moment. And so if God did not exist, nothing else would exist. Everything in the universe, everything that has a beginning, which is everything except God, owes that beginning to God. And this is the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, the God that we worship, is sole, ultimate reality. He exists by his own nature. It is literally impossible for him not to exist. Sometimes people talk about this. They say, like, you know, is it possible? I wonder, does God exist? You know, is it possible God exists? I would say not only is it possible God exists, it's actually impossible that God doesn't exist. Right? It's actually impossible for him not to exist. If anything exists, God has to exist. And far from being meaningless, you know, just kind of nonsense philosophy, this reality of God's nature has a deep impact on our lives. Now, first of all, it drives us to our knees before him in worship and praise. You know, when we kind of just think of God as like this old man in the sky, he's got the big, you know, gray beard. He basically looks like um, King Triton from like, uh, you know, the Little Mermaid, you know, he's just without fins or whatever. But anyway, like, you know, we just kind of see him as like this big buff Zeus looking guy. You know, that is a a horrible caricature of who God is, right? But if we realize who he is, we can't help but bow before him in worship. When we think about who he is, I mean, we're just driven to that. As we begin to realize how completely we depend upon him for all of life, for all of our existence, for every good thing in this world, what can I do but bow before him and worship and praise him for his glory, Right? This reality of God's self-existence, it humbles us, it moves us, and it fills us with joy and gratitude. It also fills our lives with purpose because we realize I don't exist by accident. My existence is not just some accidental freak of nature, but completely in connection to this ultimate reality, to God, who is the source and grounding of everything. But I want you to remember, what, look back at what Paul says to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17. Okay, I mean, you could turn there if you want to, you don't have to, but in uh, Acts chapter 17, Paul's talking to the Athenians and he says, yes, we exist. All people were created to seek and to know God. But then listen to the words he says in verses 27 and 28. He says to the people of Athens, yet he, that is God, is actually not far from each one of us for in him we live and move 
and have our being. In him we live and move and have our being. Because God is the sole ultimate reality, the foundational reality on which everything else depends, that means he's actually not far from us no matter where we are. It means that he's not hiding from us, not really so far away as we may think, but in fact very, very near to each one of us. And this is especially so for us in Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus, we're not only connected to God through existence, but through his very spirit, which he has put in us. And that means that no matter what I face, no matter what horror I might find uh, find before me in this life, I never go through it alone. I mean, literally everyone around me may abandon me. I may lose everything that I've ever had and valued. But God is ever-present, always there, sustaining my existence. I would not exist unless God actively wanted that to be the case. The reality of God's self-existence offers rest for the weary, comfort for the hurting, strength for the weak, and friendship for the lonely. The self-existent God gives joy and meaning and value to our lives and imbues the entire universe with beauty and glory derived from his own being. But see, here's the amazing thing that we have to not, have to not forget. So God and his word were in the beginning, Right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So God, His Word, are in the beginning. All things uh, were created by and through God and His Word. But then we read John chapter 1 and verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This self-existent Word, the same Word who upholds the universe. The same word by whom and through whom and for whom all things exist. The word in whom we live and move and have our being. That same word became flesh, became a man and dwelt among us. The God who exists by virtue of his own nature took on a human nature and walked and breathed and lived among us as humans. The word is the son of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the word of God. And although he is the self-existent God who existed from eternity past, he was willing to join us in our own nature. And then not only to live with us, but amazingly to die by our hands for us. I mean, think about that. Think about that, that the claim that we're making here as Christians. That the God who has created from eternity past and will exist for eternity future, the God who simply exists by his nature, it is his nature to exist, that that God took on a human nature and then died at our hands. Now, why, why would he do that? Well, he tells us that it's so that we can live with him, so that we can be reconciled to him. In Genesis, I'll go back to the story of Genesis here, and let's think about that for just a moment. So we see the story of Adam being created. And I want you to imagine, what was it like for, to, to be there for Adam when he first awoke? I mean, imagine Adam is in the garden and he awakes for the first time. Literally no human has ever existed. No, no you know, thinking human being like this, who has that image of God, has existed before. And so he's now there, he's existing, and he's woken up and he, he realizes where he is and he's with God. Imagine you awake in the garden. God has just created you. You awake in the presence of God and he welcomes you to existence, welcomes you to his joy, into his presence. I mean, imagine the beauty and the joy and the glory of that day, of Adam's first breath, of that awakening of humanity. And imagine the same for Eve, to awake and to be there in the presence of God together with Adam. That's what 
God has created us for. That's what you were created for. To enjoy in a community of other humans the divine presence forever. To walk with him, to be with him, to live with him. But of course, we know Adam and Eve sinned. They broke their fellowship with God. They denied his goodness. They rebelled against him. They were cast out. But what Jesus Christ has done is Jesus Christ has opened the garden back up to us. The self-existent God shared his existence with us. And though we were cut off by our own evil and sin, he wasn't satisfied to let it stay that way. Instead, he said, come back into a relationship with me through Jesus. The God whom we, in, in whom we live and move and have our being, he's still not far from us. And he still welcomes us in through Jesus. It's not just that you can know about this God. You see, we need to understand that. We're not just saying, I can know about God. Of course, that's important. You need to know about him, right? I mean, if you, as a man, you first take an interest in a woman. Like when I first got interested in Sarah, I wanted to know about her. I wanted to know, you know, where she was from. I wanted to know what kind of things she enjoyed, right? I wanted to know about her. And it's the same thing when you get to even know just any friend at all. Like if you get to know somebody, you're just going to want to know about them. But that's important. That, but the point isn't just that you know about them. You don't want to just know facts because a stalker could know facts about Sarah, right? Somebody stalking Sarah could know where she's from, could, could know all kinds of things about her. But only somebody who actually has a relationship with her can know her, can really know Sarah. And that's kind of how it is with God. And that's, that's what it is. That's what he's made available to us. You can know him personally. You can walk with him. You can love him and amazingly be known by him and be loved by him. This unimaginable God who simply is invites you to be with him. And that is the joy and the wonder and the glory of the gospel. The self-existent God who has existed from eternity past invites us to be with him, to enjoy his glory, to enjoy his beauty, and to share in his life into eternity future. Let's close with a prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for your great love for us. And we thank you for, Father, creating us, for allowing us to exist, for giving us that gift. What a joy, what a, what a wonder that we exist at all, that we are alive to think and to be and to know you. Thank you for that gift, Father. Father, I pray for each one of us. I pray for every person in this room, that each one of them, and myself included, that we would all, Father, pursue you and, and really want to know you and to understand better who you are, but also to know you more deeply, to walk with you in our lives in such a way that we just have the comfort and the joy of your presence with us, even in the hardest of times, to know that you have never abandoned us, that you never leave us, but you're always there listening, always there with us, always loving us. Father, that's our hope and, and our, our joy. And I pray that you would just help each one of us to know that more deeply. Father, um, thank you for being our God. Thank you for creating us. Thank you just for being who you are. You are wonderful and amazing. And it's incredible to think that you simply are. You are the great I am. And I pray that you would be with us each and every day of our lives and into eternity. We look forward to the day when you are with man directly, when we are before you and your presence fills all things and that we stand in your presence for eternity. Until that day, Father, please continue to be with us now. 
and help us to share that joy with others around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.